You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. I was 10 years old the first time I watched a person die. It was a July morning, nearly 30 years ago. I was supposed to go to the orthodontist that day. Instead, I gathered with my family in an emergency room waiting area and wept at the sudden loss of my father. It was not the first time life did not meet my expectations, but it was certainly the most significant time. And all of life since has been shaped by that experience. You have undoubtedly wrestled with experiences that did not meet your expectations and resulted in deep disappointment. You didn't expect to lose your job that day when you showed up for work. You didn't expect your son or your daughter to make that decision. You didn't expect to lose that person. You didn't expect to develop that addiction. The reality is that none of us have to live in this world very long to discover that life does not always meet our expectations. Or to be more precise, Jesus does not always meet our expectations. Because when things go wrong, we often cry out to him that he should have made them go differently. And that, friends, is what we have in common with Martha and Mary. They had to wrestle with the disappointment that comes when Jesus doesn't meet expectations and we have to wrestle with that and in wrestling with it we need to come to the realization of another reality that Jesus 
shatters our expectations so that he can satisfy our needs. That's the bottom line. Jesus shatters our expectations so that he can satisfy our needs. We get an immediate glimpse of the expectations that were placed upon Jesus in John chapter 11. We began reading a moment ago in verse 17. I'll back up here to chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. We're told that Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume, who wiped his feet with her hair, and now her brother, Lazarus, was ill. Verse 3 is where we discover the expectations. The sisters, Martha and Mary, send a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. And there's the expectation. Lazarus isn't well. We know that you have the power to heal. You have restored sight to the blind. You have healed the paralytics. You've given them the power to walk. Won't you come and minister to the one that you love and heal him? He is ill. And from that moment forward, Jesus does not meet expectations. In fact, he shatters them. The sisters send a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified. And in that moment, we begin to get a glimpse of Jesus' priorities. Not just a glimpse, he's telling us, his priority is the glory of God. And the decisions that he makes in the way he behaves are oriented primarily at the revelation of the glory of God. And the reality is our expectations for Jesus do not always line up with his agenda for revealing the glory of God. But that's really good news. Because Beholding the glory of God is our great need. It's going to come up again at the end of this passage. Just before Jesus raises Lazarus, he says, Didn't I tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? That's what we need. The problem is, sometimes our expectations occupy our vision, and we're not able to see what God wants to do in us, through us, around us. We're not able to see His glory. So Jesus says straightforwardly, my focus is on the revelation of the glory of God. And in accord with that, we are told in verse 5, though Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, even though he had heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed put for two more days. 
He didn't jump up and run off. He didn't bow to the expectations that were placed upon him. He intentionally behaved in a way that would shatter those expectations. Verse 7, he says to his disciples, after those two days, let's go to Judea. The disciples have some expectations about not going to Judea because it's dangerous there and there are crowds who are out to, to, to attack Jesus and stone him. Jesus isn't worried about that and he proceeds And when he arrives, Lazarus has already died. We run into more expectations when Martha comes out to meet Jesus on the road. And she says to him, those familiar words, that reveal what she wanted but didn't get. Verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She wanted to remind Jesus of her expectations so badly that when she heard he was coming, she got up, left the house, and went and met him on the road just to let him know that he had failed her expectations. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We'll come back in a moment to what Jesus has to say to her. For now, let the weight of that expectation sink in and understand that John is highlighting the expectations that different people have of Jesus because Martha, who's still in the house at this time, when Jesus arrives at the house in a few verses says the very same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We get that in verse 21 on the lips of Martha and verse 32 on the lips of Mary. Both sisters have an expectation for Jesus. that he does not meet. They expected him to show up. They expected him to fix the problem. They expected him to heal their brother, to preserve his life. And I'm sure many of us know how that feels. We expect Jesus to do something. We expect Him to show up. We expect Him to be there in our moment of need, of pain, of grief, of sorrow, of hurt. We expect Him. And yet His plan and agenda doesn't always match up with our expectations. We need to understand that our expectations grow out of our presuppositions, our assumptions about life and about Jesus. Martha and Mary assumed they knew what they needed 
They needed Jesus to heal their brother. They did not have a larger picture in mind. They didn't know the fullness of the power of God present in Jesus, the one in whom is life. Even though Martha declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world, she doesn't have a full sense of what that means. She doesn't have a full sense of His ability to minister life into the world. And He intends to use this occasion of pain and suffering, yes, to show even greater healing and power and life and new creation. But if He lives into their expectations... He will not be in a position to magnify the glory of God to its fullest extent with the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. If He did what they wanted, if He abided by their assumptions and expectations and shown up and just healed Lazarus before He died, He would not be in a place to demonstrate His power. To reach down into death and bring forth life. It's no coincidence that this is the last miracle or sign, wonder of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John. The next thing, the next wonder, the next powerful act of God is Jesus' own resurrection. Signs and wonders in the Gospel of John, more than 20 chapters, we only get them in the first 11. Then we go chapter after chapter after chapter with no more deeds of power until the day God raises Jesus from the dead. Because this is the thing that the people of God need to see. This is the thing that we need. This is our need that must be satisfied. We need to see the power of God to bring life out of death. And surely in this cultural moment, in this global moment, where we hear news of escalating mortality rates on a daily basis, surely we need to see The Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead. The Jesus who can give life. And surely we need to be reminded that we live in a world marked by death. But that's not the final word. Christ will one day flood the world with his life. So our presuppositions blind us from seeing sometimes what God wants to do in his glory. Part of the problem with our presuppositions about Jesus, our expectations for him, is that we think God owes us something. We might not say it out loud, 
But most of us, when we're being honest, we think God owes us something. Health, fortune, certain status, certain things, certain kind of job, the perfect family. We think God owes us these things. And we forget that God owes us nothing. Nothing, of course, except condemnation. Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 17. We're told that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He didn't need to do that because the world was already condemned. Jesus came to bring life to a place, to a world, to a people, to all of us who were already condemned. Verse 17, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Those who believe in Him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And John's Gospel as a whole is shaped by this contrast. Condemnation and life. Darkness and light. Before Jesus comes, the world is in darkness. And Jesus comes to bring light. Before Jesus comes, the world stands condemned. And Jesus comes to bring life. He doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us life. He doesn't owe us light. We deserve condemnation. Because we have loved evil more than we've loved Him. We've run from Him. We've rebelled against Him. And yet, in His mercy, He comes with life. God didn't owe, Jesus didn't owe Lazarus a thing. He didn't owe Lazarus resurrection. He didn't owe Lazarus healing. He didn't owe Lazarus any of that. And He doesn't owe us any of it. We don't deserve anything from Him. We think we do. And because we think we deserve something from Jesus, we come up with expectations about how He should behave. And if we want to get beyond those expectations so we can see what He really wants to do, we need to understand that He owes us nothing. Everything we get from Jesus is pure gift and all grace. So we need to ask the question, what do we expect from Jesus? Perhaps we expect him to be our cosmic concierge who gives us everything we want and satisfies our every desire. Some people may want him to be the divine matchmaker who produces the perfect spouse for the perfect marriage and the perfect life. Others will expect God to protect them from harm. 
Others will expect God to protect their children from harm. You know, I've wondered, and I remember thinking about this as an adolescent, what it must have been like for my grandmother after my dad passed away. At a very young age. And how her heart must have been broken. And how her expectations must have been shattered in that moment of tragedy. We expect Jesus to behave in certain ways. We need, we need to be clear on what those expectations are. So they can be removed and we can begin to see him for who he truly is and discover what he wants to do. Expectations, false expectations, generally lead to disappointment, don't they? And one of the reasons we need to be clear on our expectations and have the right expectations for Jesus is because false expectations lead to disappointment and disappointment can lead to other unhealthy things. It turns out that disappointment isn't simply a matter of our feelings. There is a physiological phenomenon that happens in our brain that makes our disappointment amplified when our expectations are not met. Consider this. Let's say your anniversary is coming up and your spouse usually does something really special. And you are expecting that Again, whatever it may be, probably a surprise. When we are expecting something that we think is coming, our brains produce a chemical called dopamine. And it feels good. And it heightens that sense of expectation. So you're waiting for that special surprise that your spouse will provide, just like always. And the day comes, but the surprise doesn't. Maybe things have been kind of extra busy. Maybe it slipped the mind. But you feel disappointment. And you don't just feel disappointment. There's something happening in the physiology of your brain that you don't know about yet. That dopamine level crashes. And you crash with it. And your experience of hurt 
and sorrow and pain and grief is amplified because the expectation wasn't realized and our bodies are designed in such a way that we feel that chemically at very deep levels. If you struggle with addiction, the problem is even more serious because when that chemical crash happens, you will find yourself inclined to go to the place of addiction because when you indulge in that addiction, guess what your brain produces? Dopamine. And so some people binge eat when their expectations are not met. Some people turn to drugs, others turn to alcohol. We need to understand that false expectations have potential to lead us into very dark places. And we need Jesus to shatter our expectations so that he can satisfy our real, true needs. And those needs come clear in John 11. We need to know that we have nothing apart from Christ. Martha and Mary found themselves at the end of themselves. Their hearts were broken. They were surrounded by other people who were grieving and mourning with them. They thought Jesus owed them something. They found that he did not give them what they want. And the thing they need to discover, and the thing that we need to discover, is that we have nothing apart from him. If he is not there, if he is not present, nothing. They also needed to discover, and we need to discover, that Jesus meets us in our grief. How many times does John say that Jesus was deeply moved? That he was deeply moved again upon going to the tomb? That when he was at the tomb, he wept. And the crowds observed, look how much he loved him. And you have this sense, this, this revelation that God is not this distant cosmic figure who is not involved in our pain. When he arrives, he grieves over the death of one he loved. Even though he holds the power to bring life, even though he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, that human loss, that real grief is present in Jesus. And when you hurt, when you grieve, when your heart is broken, Jesus weeps with you. 
When my family wept 30 years ago, Jesus grieved with us. When your heart is broken, when your children behave foolishly, when someone you love betrays you, when you find yourself at the bottom of life, Jesus is not scoffing. He's not distant. He's not far off just saying, why don't you get your act together? He is there weeping. See how He loves you. The One who has the power to restore meets us in the place of our shattered expectations so that He can actually meet our needs when those expectations are out of the way. We need to know that Jesus weeps with us in our grief. And we need to know that in Him is Martha met Jesus on the road. She wanted him to know just how much he had failed to meet her expectations. If you had been here, verse 21, my brother would not have died. She goes on to say, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus responds to her, your brother will rise again. Now she thinks that he's talking about a future event, not something that's going to happen in the next few minutes. Because she goes on, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha replies to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha is among those Jews. There were different views on what the future held amongst first century Jews. Martha is among those who believe that one day their God, the God who made all things and who made covenant with them, would one day raise His people from the dead. The Messiah would come, a Savior would come, and when He did, the dead, would be, the dead who belonged to God would be raised. Now that's what she's describing. In the future, graves open up, bodies come out, the dead are raised. That's what's going to happen. It's called the general resurrection. Jesus responds to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That reality is standing right in front of you. Yes, the dead will be raised, but the thing that Martha needs to see is that Jesus is the one who does it and the life and the resurrection has come to stand right in front of her. And the condition for experiencing the life and resurrection that he gives is trust. Belief. He says, those who believe in me even though they die, will live. Here he's talking about physical death and the future life of the resurrection. You believe in Jesus, when you die, you will be returned to life when he comes. He goes on 
and says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Clearly, he's talking about death in a different sense here. Because some people die and get, live again, and then he talks about never dying. Here he's talking about the spiritual death of condemnation, of judgment before God. So those who believe in Jesus never die spiritually. They're never separated from God. And when they die physically, they will come with Christ and be raised from the dead. That's true of my dad. It's true of those you have loved who belong to Jesus, even though they've died. And their bodies are rotting in the ground. The day will come when those concrete vaults will shatter. And the bolts that hold the lid to the coffin closed will crumble. And the sod, six feet of it, will begin to crack. And the dead in Christ will rise when Jesus returns. That's what we're waiting for. That is our great need. And Jesus offers a taste, an experience of life, a renewal of the heart. In John 3, it's called being born again. He offers that now. The new life that we experience on the inside when Christ joins us to himself by grace through faith will become the reality of our whole bodies when he raises us from the dead at his return. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, here is the thing. No sorrow in this life is worth missing out on that experience. of ultimate life in Christ. And we, our posture needs to be, Jesus, like you do whatever you have to do to get me to that place. If it hurts, it hurts. If my heart is broken, my heart is broken. Whatever has to happen, I need, you have to meet my one great need, and that is life in Christ. And that is our experience of the glory of God. Jesus says, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. If you believe, you experience the resurrection and life you never die spiritually. In your physical death, you'll be raised. That's our need. His glory is our need. And what a stunning shame it is if our false expectations of Jesus keep us from experiencing His glory. What a stunning, eternally regrettable shame if our false expectations 
keep us from experiencing the life of His glory. Thanks be to God that Jesus shatters our expectations so that He can satisfy our need. The invitation then is an invitation to be satisfied in Jesus and in Him alone. When life doesn't meet our expectations, we need the posture of our hearts to be one where we say, I do not, my heart is broken, but I trust you. My heart is broken. But I trust you, Jesus. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.